0: Welcome to the first episode of Kanafiru, a podcast based on two urban explorers who discover a mysterious briefcase. Join them and discover what secrets the briefcase holds. If you like to follow this story, make sure to subscribe and leave a review as it helps us very much. Thank you, and let the adventure begin. Our names aren't important. We're just two guys doing something we've done since high school, and that something is going to places other people don't. There's a whole community out there. They might call us urban explorers. We definitely explore. The locations are not always well urban. Urban's an ugly word. You hear urban, you think ghetto, dingy, filthy, rundown. I've heard it all. None of that is always the case. Sometimes men just like to go to places others are too afraid to go to. I speak for myself when I say I was always a thrill seeker. I was a kid who didn't ask how high up a building I had to go. I asked, how much do I get if I make it to the top and slide down? The other guy that does this with me will most likely agree with you that I'm out of my goddamn mind. It probably makes me wonder how the two of us even got together for so long. Truth is in a duo like this, you need a planner as much as the guy who actually does the dirty work. Me, of course. My associate explorer is very much logistics in this operation. He researches the history, knows the right fences, Probably even dots all his eyes and still writes in cursive for all I know. In a lot of ways I think he likes the excitement of creating and executing his masterful plans. A lot of which I admit has gotten us out of really tough shit. Like this one time, me and this guy ran to a pack of coyotes, two tied up homeless men, and a wire cutter. The wire cutter could only work on a non cast iron gate. Smarty Pants knew that the North Gate was literally made out of chicken wire. I don't know what happened to the homeless men, but whoever said coyotes are not dangerous, I've never met five hungry coyotes licking the blood off of the infected arms of two homeless people to know what they're talking about. Of course, that was one of the more memorable examples. If only coyotes in cre- questionable situations would have been it, it would have been perfect for this podcast. Of course, if it hadn't been for really one of our more boring finds, a simple metal briefcase. We call it the Kono Fire Briefcase. Contrary to the summary of our last encounter, coyotes have little to do with how we found this briefcase. This briefcase, was, this briefcase was found in an abandoned asylum, a typical haunt we've been exploring in our hometown, we use as a training ground. It's about 11 by 16 inches, silver, with about six ridges, both on its back and on its front. There are two depressions on the top right and left right corner, two small buttons that can be pressed in, Pressing it down on both sides does nothing, as you would do to open any other briefcase. In fact, the first two days we couldn't even open the damn thing. Of course, Smarty fans figured out they needed to be pressed in a certain combination between left and right to get it to pop open. Smart Guy also found if you hold the case against a UV light, it spells out K-O-N-A-F-A-I-R-U Kona Firu within the space of the ridges and between the two button depressions and under a worn leather handle, a silver plate had the same name on it, Kona Firu, engraved in a dotted, traced outline. So, we open up Mr. Mrs. whoever, Kona Firu's briefcase. This briefcase is clearly designed by an evil genius. That or one of those weirdos that likes puzzles you only see in movies. There were dials, lock combinations, even a goddamn electronic keypad, all tucked away in each top and bottom corner. In the center of all this nonsense, there's a manila folder. Strangely, the guy didn't create an elaborate puzzle for this one. It was lightly sealed and labeled, Final Words. Inside, there were six letters. We both guessed that it was written way back, because these three were written in typewriter lettering, and even had X'd out uh, parts written over certain places. Same way you would see someone correct a mistake when the delete button didn't exist back in the day. Holding them together was an old leather-bound journal with a lock holding it shut. It was locked, but we were guessing the documents must be really old, too, because a a little bit of force crumbled the lock away. We went through all of them. I've never been particularly clever or attentive to reading of anything. So me and Smarka decided to break down the work by choosing one thing, pouring all over it. As you can probably tell, the one I chose made me change my mind about this podcast. In fact, me and my friend agreed that maybe this Kona Fire briefcase should be what we, were, we should really be talking about instead. The letter drew me in because of the writing. This wasn't typewritten, it was handwritten. The chicken scratch and the odd spacing, but complete words made it look like someone was scribbling things in a hurry reading them all made me think the writer wrote this just to have all his thoughts down reading the entire letter also made me realize that the story wasn't written out in the way it normally is sometimes the writer wrote the story vertically and closed off borders and sometimes even more annoying to me in between the lines in short at first i must have spent at least two weeks deciphering the story but when i did piece the story together i knew why i chose it this kid felt like I did when I was his age. Down to how he get hated his grandpa, also how he learned something when he least expected it. Kinda like how a lot of us get to grow up, really. But what stood out is how me and my friend have gotten into this mess. How it just takes some words, even if they're someone's last, to become just as obsessed as they were. Something that they remembered so long that stayed with them moments before they died. I was thinking about the disease mentioned in this story and asked myself, never did find a cure for that disease, did they? Come to think of it, I don't see a lot of animals in that area anymore, and I know I used to see a lot of raccoons and coyotes before. Look, I'll say this now, exploring abandoned locations is our hobby, and I hate puzzles with a passion. My friend, the smart one, he has a family, has a pretty solid, active social life away from puzzles and mysteries. Maybe he does Sudoku so or whatever, but I don't think he really cares much about these things. That's why we're dedicating this podcast to those of you who do. I rambled on for too long. Let's just call this the final words. The scariest stories are not about monsters, killers, or the shadows waiting to strike from their lairs. The scariest stories are about things you know are happening but can't do anything about. My grandfather would repeat those words over and over again. And it was his mantra and it was something I never understood. The meaning behind it was something I could have only learned when I watched him die 20 years ago. During the summer of my 16th birthday, my granddad's kidney started to give up. At the time, I didn't really understand what that meant. I knew enough that he didn't. He didn't have long and that my family, especially my mother, began to slow down for him. Suddenly, everything revolved around him and I felt like nothing was being done and it bothered the teenager I once was. I was a pretentious, unempathetic know-it-all back then, like most teens, really. I thought I knew all there was to life, and death to me was something that either didn't happen, or people made too much of a big deal about. To me, it was going to happen anyway, because of how ancient the man was. Of course, those opinions didn't win me any favors with the family. I look back at it now, and I can't help but feel guilty about how I acted. it was only fair that my mom eventually gave me the responsibility of driving Granddad to the hospital for dialysis. She had scolded and punished me the night before that I had earned this chore. She told me that seeing someone closely die was not something to be made light of. Holding my permit hours for my driver's license at ransom, my mother made me conduct this chore weekly, with special detail on how he appeared each week. I guess my mom wanted to let it sink in on how much he would change in the next few weeks. Months, if he was lucky. On the day he died, he wasn't moving much. I was beginning to understand what my mom had mentioned earlier. By the fifth week, he was almost skeletal. Flesh that was once filled with considerable fat now hung like melting wax off his shrunken frame. His breathing seemed slower and louder, with an occasional snore escaping his lips. The nurse I talked to told me they had sedated him that day. Uh, That noise was simply his throat muscles beginning to weaken as air moved through the lungs less efficiently. Soon he would need to be ventilated, but for now the sound couldn't be helped. At the time, I believed her, and whether she lied to me or was too experienced to know, I would have never known that those snores were actually his final death rattles. But my teenage self found it more amusing than sad. Here's a guy dying, I would think, and here here he is sleeping his ass off. I recall at that point I had to use the bathroom. And that's when I felt a cold, vice like hand, more like wood and metal combined, take a vice grip hold on my now locked wrist. I turned to see my granddad fully awake. His eyes, though sunken, seemed to burn brighter than ever before. For a split second, I thought his whole body would fill up, like life was pouring back into him. Sit. He said this in a quavering but remarkably firm voice. Too stunned to protest, I pulled the chair I'd propped up against the wall and sat next to him. My granddad seemed to deflate. The strength sat from him as he loosened my grip, the flabbiness of his skin creating indentations and wrinkles all over his body once again. His mouth quivered as his voice struggled to find composure. You might be the only one to hear this, but I need someone to know and the whole world if it comes to it. When I finished high school, I was smart and lucky enough to attend a private university out in New York. Don't bother looking it up, it doesn't exist anymore. That's because the university ran its campus alongside a sanitarium. In fact, the only thing separating us from the patients was an elevator. It needed a key and it was barred from the second floor university was known for being a pioneer in uh, what I guess you would call psychological therapy back then. No one wanted to do anything with people sent to the loony bin in those times to see. If doctors said you were crazy, there were no pills or shrink or anything to talk to like that. Nah, no. they sent you to live with other crazy people. Doctors and other people didn't actually treat them, though they often said they did. They were rounded up and lived like cattle. The doctors got did get involved, none of it was good. It would beat them, hose them with high pressure water, even run electricity through their brains. I would know I was there. And all of this in the name of progress. That would get out of the loony bin that they would get out of the loony bin back back then. See, that was the thing back then. My univ- and what my university was aiming for. Reintegrating patients instead of keeping them holed up forever. I volunteered a couple times, and eventually I was given a job as an orderly, even paid. My last year before getting my bachelor's degree, politics had a big impact on my university. It was now illegal to keep patients in one place and away from society. We lost funding almost overnight, and the only incentive to maintain the university was to get all the patients out in six months. This was so we could get grants that we could be directed to, redirected to the university. Granddad paused for a few seconds. For a moment I thought he was done with this story, but then that same strength I saw flared up again. The doctors and all the orderlies, including me, were offered a bonus from the last of the funding, so long as we applied to a new protocol. Our goal was to make sure the patients were street ready. This meant they were up to date with their health, groomed, and then placed on a truck while sedated. Then they would be driven to god knows where and dropped off without a word. If you ever wondered how crazy pe- people ended up on the streets, there's a reason. Grandpa paused again, this time his breath sounding shallower and faster. The tilting of his voice sounded like he was more angry than suffer- suffering. There were a lot of patients. On the fifth month of our deadline, we still had a ballpark of around 200 or so. Something needed to be done quick, and I started noticing the doctors in charge becoming confident Even reassuring in our briefings, suddenly the vaccines changed. I'm not a doctor and definitely didn't know enough about medicine to determine what they did or how they worked. Only thing tipping me off is that one more shot was added to the already hefty amount needed to get them street ready. One day I was told not to come to work, instead I was told that I would be getting the bonus I was promised, and to return to my classes and finish my school year without having to worry about any more finances. Granddad stopped again longer this time. Something about his eyes told me he wanted to cry, but either he was too weak or that he had forgotten how. I remembered what they looked like, eyes hardened after crying for so long. I returned to my classes the next week, the entire lower half of the building was sealed off with concrete. They put these condemned notices everywhere. All students were to be escorted out of the property and classes were only held in the mornings. And that didn't mean I still didn't hear them. The screams, not like the screams you hear from a crazy person, no. I was used to that. These screams were different, muffled, almost choking. Almost like if the voices of someone who hadn't drank water for a really long time. I remembered the eyes staring at me, red, bloody, dirty hair. Blood around their eyes and mouth sometimes i even saw them holding arms legs torsos gnawing on them with their eyes always on me and then they ran flailed, twitched crashed into walls they tore their eyes out their throats their granddad stopped to look at the face of confusion i had on me at the moment i thought i was hearing some half crazy story from a dying man drug-induced distress. i was half expecting a smile and a tap while making a joke about zombie movies something I was into at the time. It's when I got instead that made me shudder. There was a beckoning to pull closer, and then the chills ran deep down inside. Rabies, rabies, rabies. And those were his final words. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Kanafiro. Join us for the next episodes and see how this story develops. Please be sure to subscribe and review as it helps us very much. Thank you and see you soon.